Welcome to the Pet Grooming Business Podcast, where we give practical business advice to help you grow your pet grooming business. So without further ado, let's get going. Welcome everyone to uh, my chat with Julie Harris this evening. So Julie, welcome to our Facebook group and our Facebook chat. I know you've been hanging out in the group for a while, so um, hopefully you're enjoying it and um, seeing some useful content and stuff. You're a pet groomer, you own your own business, you do uh, pet groomer training as well, and the founder of the Groomer Spotlight, aren't you? So I am, yeah. <laughs> you're a very busy person. So um, you said in your bio you got into grooming so almost 40 years ago. So perhaps you can tell us a little bit as to how you got into that business, how you got into the grooming business and um, what it was like 40, almost 40 years ago. Yeah, right. First, I need to apologise because I have got, have I not got the best lockdown here of anybody? <laughs> when I, when I sent you that picture for the bio, I was like, oh, my God, they're going to log in and go, who the bloody hell's that? <laughs> That's all right. It's lockdown. So, no, lockdown. I'm going. I'm going grey, and I'm and I'm sticking with it. I'm sticking with it. I've been grey since I was 28, and I've been using a bottle ever since. Well, my mum was white when she got married, so I'm like, I'm doing this. I am doing this. So, best lockdown hair ever. <laughs> so yeah, how did I get into grooming? Well, I went to uh, a girls' school, and if you weren't doing eight O levels as it was in those days, you had to do work experience. And I was doing six. So I was like, okay, so I'll do some work experience. And like most sort of, I don't know, 16, 17-year-olds, I don't know about you guys, but I had no idea what I wanted to do. You know, I'd chosen me options. I was like, um, I was going to go into agriculture. I was really, really big on agriculture um, and got accepted for Y University and um, thought, oh, what should I do with these work experience? And I went to work at a kennel's. Oh, really? Happened to be be a really um, influential kennels. I really fell on my feet. I I landed at the kennels that bought the first Briards into the country back in the 60s. So amazing kennels. And um, walked in on my first day to be surrounded by about 18 Briards. Apart from the smell hitting me and me not being able to breathe, (laughs) I thought to myself, oh, my God, I've literally landed in heaven. And um, worked at the kennels during my work experience. She offered me a summer job. Um, I did that all through the summer. Thoroughly enjoyed it. I think kennel work's an amazing foundation to, to grooming. You learn behaviour. You learn handling. And um, went back to, to school to do my A-levels and um, lasted about six weeks. <laughs> he didn't like it. He didn't want to do A-levels. No. And... Um, I come from a really big banking background, so my father was absolutely horrified that I wanted to pick up shit from the rest of my life, really. <laughs> and um, so they had a little grooming salon at the um, at the kennels, so I kind of thought, oh, I could give this grooming a try. And, um, yeah, I paid for my own training because my parents didn't really approve, so I had to save up my own money and mm. pay for my own training. And my dad, bless him, drove me to my training. He supported me that way. But he said, you know, we're not paying for it. If this is what you want to do, you do it. And, yeah, I did two months training. Um, I live in the South Coast, so I went to Seven Oaks. And, um, yeah, became a dog groomer. But, you know, the stupidest thing is, is my training 
was two months. I didn't do a head. Oh, really? They didn't didn't you... Every time you groomed a dog, we only used to come along and go stand side, stand side. And we always used to gather around. We always used to watch. And she used to do the head and the dog used to go out. And I left feeling that I'd had really good training. <laughs> How did you find out that you hadn't? Like... No, I knew I hadn't done a head, but I thought, well, obviously that's just the way that people train, that yeah. that must be what happens. So I left and having never done a head and then just sort of like kind of winged it. And all I can say is that I've just thanked God that there were no mobile phones when I started because no pictures, I, yeah. could, I couldn't take any pictures of any of the work that I did which was atrocious. Um, I did no formal qualifications and worked at the kennels. And then in all honesty, in them days, um, you know, we are talking 40 years ago, there was no money to be made in grooming. You know, you're in a little shed at the back of a kennel. And I decided to keep it as a really enjoyable hobby. And I went into retail, into retail management, into pharmacy and worked for Boots for 15 years. Oh. and um, still kept the grooming as a really enjoyable hobby. And um, I show my dogs. So I was in the dog show circuit and all that sort of thing. And then all of a sudden, PetSmart came into the country. Mm. And I remember driving to work one day, seeing this big sign, PetSmart opening, and I was really, really excited. And um, when I got a job there, totally blagged the interview. <laughs> Anybody here that's at Pets at home now, oh, my God, did I blag the interview? Totally. Exactly. I went into a, tri- a trials test, head thing again, <laughs> got the head, went to them, but that word and I went to them, oh my goodness, is that the time? I'm really sorry about to go somewhere. And I left, didn't do the dog's head, and I got the job. No way. I absolutely got the job, yeah. Excellent. And then it just opened up everything for me. It opened up qualifications. It opened up, you know, um, they got taken over by pets at home. I mean, I've had a lovely career. I um, um, I used to do with a friend in um, Surrey, uh, Mr. Al Fayad, um, Stogs. So those of you who don't know him, he used to own Harrods. So I was really friendly with the family. They decided to open a, a pet bar in Harrods. So we were the obvious choice to go in there. So, yeah, I spent sort of a few enjoyable years setting up the pet bar in Harrods and, you know. So, uh, well, I've got to interject there. So you, you ran a... Um, a dog groomers in Harrods. Hmm. Well, yeah. We had a very interesting comment one day. <laughs> we had a, a customer come to us and said, you know what, it's better than Harrods, our dog grooming. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, we were in Harrods. Yeah. Yeah. That's still there as well, isn't it? They no, still do. No, no, they, when um, Mr. Fired sold, um, he sold yeah. to the uh, Qatari royal family and they took the whole thing out. We, we, they told me pets went and pets had been in there almost to the month a hundred years. I, I, I remember going up, years yeah. <sighs> and it didn't matter whenever you got in the lift, everybody were used to say, Um, where's the department? and it's gone totally gone. Oh, have you frozen? Are you still there? Have I'm I still, frozen? Yeah. Was it on the top floor, wasn't it? I, oh. I think I remember being going there. Fourth floor. We were on the fourth floor, yeah. So your claim to fame was uh, being over at Harrods. Yeah, yeah. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. And I did teaching before Harrods, 
um, Nat, I just love it. I became a qualified teacher, so just kind of jumped on the bandwagon of education. Just love it, love it. So what kind of dogs did you um, practice on when you were learning to become a dog groomer? Were the breeds completely different then as to what they are now? Well, the... The place I trained, she bred poodles. And so we did a lot of poodles. And of course, all those years ago, um, there weren't many really attachments. So you learn to, that's the only thing is, is the, probably my skill level was quite good because you learned, you, you didn't have comb attachments, you had to scissor everything. So that was, you know, something that we did. So my sister, I, I remember when the comb attachments came, you know, we all struggled with them. And I'd be like, oh, I just bloody scissor it. I'm quicker at scissoring than what I am using these things. And even to today, I kind of, I do perhaps take a body off, but I very rarely do legs with comb attachments. I prefer to scissor. I'm just so much quicker. Mm. So, but, yeah, that yeah. breeds a lot of pedigree. Obviously, no cockapoos or anything like that. No. I was going to say, you see, uh, we've been in the industry for 16 years. And over those years, you kind of see a real change in fashions and like popular breeds. Uh, like uh, We used to do loads of Bouviers, but I, we don't see as many Bouviers anymore. Scotties and Westies, like you said, it's more sort of cockapoos and poo crosses now, isn't it? For you I, also, I also think that quite a few breeds are regional. I know, um, you know, I've, I've done training with people which have, you know, got Bedlingtons on their books, you know, three, four, five, six, seven Bedlingtons. And, you know, I probably groomed for 20 years before I did a Bedlington. Yeah. Um, and I know that, I mean, we do lots of Shih Tzus um, and Schnauzers and Cocker Spaniels where we are. And yet other people, you know, do loads of Wild Fox Terriers. So I think it does depend on where you are as to, um, you know, what your common breeds are. I mean, I was just reading, I don't know if anybody else gets it. This is a good publication to get, PBW. Um, and I was just, this arrived this morning, and I was just reading in that before we came live. Do you know there's been an extra 3 million pets bought in the lockdown? I was actually doing the school run this morning and I was looking um, at all the mums and dads walking to school. Yeah. I just thought, actually, there's so many more dogs kicking about. There's so yeah. many more dogs being walked with the family sort of thing. I thought, yeah. yeah. It says here, staggeringly increase in pet ownership during coronavirus pandemic. And they now reckon that we've got... Um, uh, 12 million dogs in the UK, whereas we always used to band about nine. You used to sell us about nine million, 12 million. Yeah. And if you think that's two million dogs, if every groomer does sort of, I don't know, four dogs a day, five days a week, that's 20 dogs a week. On an eight-week rotor, that's 160 dogs. That's You only need 160 dogs for a client base. We've got an extra two million coming in. Yeah. I mean, we need, we need groomers... We need a lot of groomers. I know um, when I spoke to you before, you always like, you know, there is enough work out there for everyone. Oh, my God. And then some. And then some. There really is. I mean, I know a lot of people go, oh, there's a groomer down the road that's opened up for me. Um, and, I mean, I'm obviously incredibly pro-education. But don't worry. Don't worry about the groomer down the road opening up from you. You know, sure. because there is literally enough work for everybody. Just be the best. And if, if they undercut you... Be proud. I mean, we work on the proviso, and, and trust me, my customers do not know who I am. They have, they don't have a clue. Mm -hmm. um, 
quite often they don't want me to groom their dogs because they go, I've actually had a customer say, oh, can I have somebody younger with more patience? And I'm like, you're kidding me, right? Just because I'm older, that mean I haven't got any patience. <laughs> so, but we we pride ourselves on, on being, you know, expensive. Mm. And if another groomer opened up and was the same price as me, I would put my prices up. So what? Um, let's look at that. And what does that do? How do you feel that benefits your business by being the most expensive groomer out there? Does it affect the quality of customer that you get? And I don't think so. No, because um, you know I, I live in St Leonard's. I don't know how many of you listening sort of know the area. And you know, no disrespect to any of our customers is I can have a customer literally with one tooth in their head, or I can have a customer that's got a second home down by the sea and they live in London. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I really can. And, you know, you get all of you have it. You get a customer that comes in with a little money bag and they've been saving mm-hmm. for the dog's groom or, you know, you've got customers, that are, you know, just it's, you know, or, or you know, let's book him in for three weeks because he got a bit smelly at four. And my, gar- and my gardener or my cleaner will bring the dog over to you. That was the tricky thing in um, Harrods was the yeah. fact that we didn't always see the owner. So yeah. you'd get the, the au pair or something and you'd be like, oh, um, how, how's that? And they go, okay. And you go, um, <laughs> how, how are we grooming Molly today? And they go, and you go, oh, great. And you go, where's Mrs. So-and-so? Oh, she's in New York. And you go, oh, great. Thankfully, if I shave your dog, if she's away for long enough, she won't know anyway. She won't get to see the head. No, no, it's true. No, I've got really good at heads now. You'd be pleased to know. So with your um, with your pricing, there's been a few comments in, within the group lately sort of saying, you know, people around my way won't pay that or um, I, I don't want to ask for that sort of money from the people that come and see me. What would you say to people with that kind of mindset around their pricing and stuff? I think I think with your pricing, you've got to almost start at the finish and work your way backwards. So you've got to go, I'm running a business my rent is this much, my electricity is this much, my shampoo is this much, so how much do I need to earn? So if I want to groom three dogs a day, three dogs are going to be more expensive than if I've got the speed to groom four dogs a day. So, and if I'm grooming five dogs a day, that's different. So you kind of work it backwards, and we generally work on about an hourly rate. I know that I I generally charge around about £35 an hour. So if a dog takes me two hours, it's 70 pounds. Mm-hmm. If a dog only takes me an hour, I groom quite quick. I'm quite quite a quick groomer. So, you know, some people might decide that their hourly rate is 25 pounds an hour. You know, I'm going to work between nine and three to fit it in with the kids, you know, to pay all my bills and to make a profit and to, you know, have a good turnout. I need to charge 25 pounds an hour. And if this dog that's come in heavily matted and has taken me three hours, then it's going to be 75 quid. Mm. And I think people people understand people don't like surprises. Right. Um, you know, you, you can't you can't get a dog in and then 
charge them what they're not expecting to pay. That's, you know, that's not acceptable. I mean, I'm always, because of COVID, we've had a lot of issues with the fact that we're not touching the dogs until the owner's gone. Yeah. So they, they're coming in, they're putting them on the pet park, they're leaving. We're coming through getting the dog. And, you know, you get the dog and you say to an owner, oh, is he matted? And mm. an owner is, is either, well, they're either one way or the other, aren't they? They either go, oh, my God. It's like they phone up and go, oh, it's his welfare groom. Welfare groom. It's <laughs> incredibly matted. You get it in and it's like a bit behind its ear and a bit on its backside. And you're like, you know, that's heavily matted, is it? And then you get the opposite end of the spectrum where they go, oh, no, there's a couple of knots on it. Or I brush it every day and then you get it in and you, you know, you've got a seven effort. So, you know, you're always on the phone going, I've just checked Toby over and, you know, he is quite heavily matted. And so therefore it's going to take me a wee while to get it off. So, you know, it's be a two hour appointment today. So that's going to be, you know, 50, 60 pounds. Yeah, and um, Jacqueline's just put on the comments, actually, do you think it's worth saying how much you charge per hour rather than per dog? It's entirely up to you. Yeah. It's it's a real tricky thing because, again, um, I've had customers phone up and go, oh, can you fit my dog in? It's only little. It won't take you long. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we've all had that, and we're like, do you know, I think I'll be the judge of that yeah. because the little ones can be little shites and they can take <laughs> you much longer than a Labrador that's, you know. So it's it is tricky. It is tricky. And it doesn't help sometimes when it's a new client that's been to another groomer and they're, and you know, they are naughty and the groomer hasn't divulged that. They've just kind of gone, oh, can't tell them they're really naughty. They're really naughty, you know, because they, they won't like it, you know. But I think every owner knows what their dog's like. They're not stupid. And I think there's always a way of, of showing that you've actually captured their dog's temperament you know i mean i had a little um a puppy in today a welsh terrier puppy absolutely lovely we always do a couple of face beating bums and my prepper claire's great so she prepped it and she literally looked across me and said to me i think this one's going to need a couple more face beating bums to you try and unscrip this and i was <laughs> like oh okay well i'll see how it goes well it was like you know it's like trying to hit a moving target it was ridiculous <laughs> I mean, so I said, you know, when she came back, I said, oh, I said, I said, he's a real character, isn't he? He's a bit lively at the minute. And she goes, oh, yes, yes, he is. You know, yeah. you know, it's it's tricky. Sometimes you say to him, oh, he's a bit of a bit of a bugger, isn't he? You know, he does go for the brush a bit. And sometimes they go, really? Oh, no, not normally. And you're like, oh, shit. Yeah. What, what have you done to him to make him? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> We're, we're all open plan, thank God, which I think is, a, you know, a godsend because, we're literally just, you know, people can see everything. They can, you know, there's nothing to hide. And we, we're right opposite um, a pub, so which hasn't been open. But I know a couple of summers ago, I was doing this really, really tricky cat that was 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 tricky, a very tricky customer. And um, were noisy and it was really aggressive. And uh, the owner was thrilled to bits that we managed to do it. And I finished his cat, put it in the box. Turn to the guys, and then all across the road, because they'd all been outside the pub, they're all cheering them. They've been the absolute source of entertainment for everybody outside the pub, and they were going, Way! Well, I finally got this cat back in this box. How did you get into cat grooming? Because obviously, you've done your, you, you did your dog grooming course and missed the heads and yeah 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 that was the course that was that was my training bill yeah. <laughs> my training 
<laughs> How did you get I, into cat grooming after that? And what made you go into cat grooming? Why did you? Um, a, a bit of a funny story, really, in the fact that I um, I got asked to write a cat grooming course. Hmm. And I was like, oh, that's fine. I can write a cat grooming course. I've been grooming cats for, for years, so that's no problem. I'll write that for you. Um, did a bit of research and then suddenly realised for 20 years I've been grooming cats wrong. Oh, really? Yeah, honest to God. Honest to God. And I was like, shit. You know, no wonder people don't like grooming cats. Mm. No wonder I don't particularly like grooming cats. No wonder I keep getting it wrong. And um, so I looked at courses in the UK and I wasn't too impressed with them. There was nothing accredited. There was nothing um, that was, I mean, I'm all into, um, I do agree with sort of holistic methods and that sort of stuff, but, but you can't, you need skill. You need skill and you need training. Yeah. Uh, you know, just to sort of sit there and, and, you know, kind of be a little bit, um, natural with things like that is like that's great but you do need to have underpinning knowledge so that you can make an informed decision mm -hmm. so the only things I could find were to me didn't give me that informed decision they were like you know you've got to find your inner cat and in all fairness and in all honesty I don't really like cats <laughs> so I didn't really have an inner cat do you know what I mean I've never really well I've owned one cat but I'm just not a cat person what do they um, mean by your inner cat is that like how to plan how to scratch you or how I know, to I think it's more or? like it's more like cats like cat people don't they yeah um and or and you know I think cats knew that I was a dog person and they were kind of on the back foot already going yeah I've sized you up and I could never portray this cat person to a cat so I researched and I went, I actually ended up going to the States wow. for over a month um, to do their cat grooming course. Um, so I, I packed off over there and um, yeah, it was an amazing experience. It was a fabulous course. It taught me everything. It really did. Um, made me a cat groomer made me a cat person um mm. but it was really hard work i was really surprised because i think you know my husband was under the impression i was going to america for a month for a bit of a jolly oh, a jolly yeah and it was literally monday i arrived on the saturday i had sunday to recover i was in school on monday monday to friday you were in school saturday sunday you studied you went back to, I literally had one day off in the month when I went to a local zoo, but the rest of the time was hard, hard study. It was really hard. So was it a, a lot of theory or? Yeah, uh, it was. There was, there was um, the practical side of it was, was really interesting. You have to become a bit fearless. Yeah. Um, so they kind of teach you that, how to be fearless. Um, but it was, when you think about it, we learn all about breeds of dog, don't we? Yeah. All about breeds of dog. And then suddenly you're a cat groomer. And I literally, I mean, Maine Coon, that was about it. And then there was 120 breeds of cats I had to learn. Yeah. And all their different personalities and traits. Personalities, traits. There's single-coated cats, yeah. double-coated cats. There's bloody triple-coated cats. I mean, who on earth gave a cat a triple coat? Was having a laugh. I can tell you that for nothing. <laughs> and... Um, and then it's all like we know about diseases of dogs, don't we? We know about parvovirus, hepatitis, you know, all of that distemper. 
it didn't even dawn on me that I would need to learn that for cats. So I had to learn all the feline diseases, all their signs, all their symptoms, all their skin problems. So everything I learned to do with dog grooming, I had to relearn it again. And it really brought home to me that totally different species, totally, and which it clearly is. So why dog groomers think that they can just groom cats, I have no idea because I did and I seriously got it wrong. So the handling's different. Everything is different. So um, did you bring all that back and then did you come back and write your write the course? Yeah, I came back and I wrote the course and, um, yeah, felt really, really pleased with, with, you know, being able to kind of give the students the information that they needed. You know, right down to temperament testing. You know, the thing is, is we see a dog walk in the salon. So we see it coming down the road, don't we? Or we see the way it looks at us, the way it is with its owner. A cat arrives in a basket. What does that tell you? Yeah, you don't know anything until you put your hand near the the cat. Well, that's strange because actually the where the cat is positioned in the basket tells you a lot about it. So we even learn all that. You know, mm. temperament testing just by visual. Right, where's the cat looking? Is it at the back of the carrier, the front of the carrier? Is it gone underneath the blanket? Yeah. Is it on top of the? Is it trying to mould itself into the plastic? You know, or is it right at the front going, go on, bring it on, you know? <laughs> yeah, going, oh, I'm ready for you. So sometimes, so we do do cat grooming and sometimes we just cannot, do it and we're like we try our very best but you know we're not going to put that cut under so much stress that it's not worth it do you do you find having done those courses and learned all those skills are there still cats that you can't do or uh, do you manage to get around all all of them most of them um the training was done by just um you so you never had a helper so you you did all the handling yourself there's been one one cat to do there's been a couple of elderly cats that i've done in um you know two parts because i've like you know it's had enough yeah. but i learned also um a lot of towel wrapping techniques mm-hmm. which have really stood me in good stead so those pugs that you can't um you know you can't do nails on daxes that are really impossible little chihuahuas that you're like how you know how much damage can this do? Well, they can do quite a lot of damage when they want to. Yeah. I remember I said to one of the girls once, oh, it's only a chihuahua. <laughs> how can that hurt you? And the poor yeah. girl's bruised and throbbing hand. But, yeah, so I learnt, um, there's an amazing video of this Chinese lady. It's got some hysterical um, music to it. It's a bit cartoony, but she's fabulous at towel wrapping. Mm. So you wrap pressure points. Um, and you can immobilize immobilize limbs. So I do quite a lot of towel wrapping around the front of a cat yeah. so that they can't turn their head and that they it, they, it calms them down. Is that just because they're, they're cuddled and a bit like, you know, a little bit like a baby maybe or just the pressure mm-hmm. points and stuff like that? Yes, but I think it's very, um, yeah, it's foolhardy to cuddle a cat when you grow up. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, when you wrap the towel around it. Oh, yeah. It stimulates all that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. it calms them down. And we use, um, I use Yitka's Vitacanis cat calming spray. Right. Oh, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. And I tell you what, it makes me die because um, you'll have a cat come in and the owners will go, I'd really just like to watch and see how you do it because we we struggle (laughs) at home. 
<laughs> so we used the cat calming spray yeah. and I used my techniques, which cost me a lot of money because I spent a month in the States. And all they do is they go, oh, my God, that spray's amazing. That spray's amazing. <laughs> oh, where can I get that spray? And I'm like, skill, my skill as well. Yeah, yeah. I'm so going got- your cat. And they seem to think that a little puff of spray is go- is what's caused all the uh, all the amazing all the amazing grooming it's quite funny really because the girls are going yeah and julie grooming it yeah and julie grooming it that's what that's what that's what's doing it so you always do it on your own as well you do you always do you have helpers now or do you always do it on your own or i generally do it on my own um yeah i do i mean i do occasionally have a helper i must admit i think i got i've got a bit lazy because the girls are there yeah um, I've got one of my girls that, that hates cats and oh, looks in the diary and goes, oh, i got a cat. And she always says that she'd rather clean the bath with bleach naked than do a cat. So we go, well, are you going to strip off and get out there and do the bath? <laughs> All right, Easter Island, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, Easter Island. She's, she's just not, she's not good with cats, bless her, but yeah. But she and- does, she will hold them if she has to. And people out there that are listening and, you know, maybe haven't really considered doing cats or um, have done cat courses, what do you think price-wise? I mean, it's quite a specialist sort of topic, isn't it? Like you said, you went away and did a lot of training um, around it. So price-wise, it's... It's, it's very, it is very lucrative. Yeah. Um, we have a lot of cats now that come in really regularly. Mm-hmm. So we charge sort of our minimum charges around about £35. Um, for a cat and they generally take me 10 minutes yeah once once you've got them on that schedule they're um and then anything anything that's like just a new client is around 50 if they have a bath it goes up to 75 but a cat even if i've done a lion trim and i've shaved it and i've bathed it um it's done well within an hour well within an hour so it's a really good hourly rate yeah. Um and Anthony's watching or Tony. Um he's looking to come down your way. I think he's looking to move down to towards southeast. Uh, do, do you do the accredited courses or where can he learn to do the cat- At the minute we're not um we we haven't got any courses running at all um due to COVID and things like that. So it's just really keep an eye on on my Facebook page and everything like that. And then anything that we're we're starting again. Um, I've just um, um, I've turned my attention a little bit to the OCN at the minute. Right. Um, so that's that's where the main attention's going. Um, but yeah, if we get enough numbers for for another cat course, we've only we've only had tails for three years, and of course, it takes a while to to build a client base, especially with cats. Yeah. So I've got enough cats now that I can run a course, but for the first sort of eighteen months. There wasn't enough cats, and you need a variety. You need the ones that are tricky, because yep. it's great doing a course, you know, of all nice classic cats, and then find that, um, you know, <laughs> poor buggers. As soon as they get out there, they get a nasty one. They haven't got a clue. So you've got to have that that cross section that you can feed through the course as they get more confident. Yeah, of course, and you want you want the cats that are, are just a straightforward brush out, don't you? And then the cats mm. with the mats, and then you want the lion clips and stuff like that, so you can demonstrate all the sort of different. And you need and it's silly. It's it's a bit like dog grooming. Is you need the skinny ones and you need the fat ones. Yeah. Because clipping off a skinny old cat is probably one of the most terrifying things I do. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I always say to the owner, "Look, I've got to shave your cat. The condition it's in." They're like, "Oh yes, yes, no problem." I say, "You know, I could well nick the skin. Mm. Like, you know, I have no idea where your cat's nipples are." 
they don't, you know, I mean, it's all right with us humans. They're normally in all in the same place. But on a cat, they're like all over the show. So you can't kind of go, oh, I know there's one there because you you don't have a clue. So, you know, the likelihood of catching a nipple, it, it does happen. It's not a regular thing. But I always warn an owner that, you know, because their cat's in that state, I can't I can't guarantee I'm not going to catch anything. Yeah, and again, that just shows, doesn't it? That communication is is key with your with your owners. Hmm. So you've you've done your grooming and you've got into your grooming and then you've gone. You've told us that you're really passionate about education and obviously you've gone over to the states and and done some courses with cats. But you you run a grooming school, don't you? And it's offer- not really. I run a grooming salon. I run yeah. a grooming salon, and we we um, I have um, we've started up a school for the OCN. Right. The reason being was when we started the spotlight, there was an awful lot of groomers that have been grooming a long time and didn't weren't qualified. Yeah. And I don't have an issue with that at all. I really don't. I mean, I groomed unqualified for 15 years. So mm-hmm. we're unregulated. You can do what you like. Yeah. Um, so we were there championing qualified groomers, encouraging people to get qualifications to really pull up the industry's professional you know, opinion of us. And, um, you know, there was no route for people that have been grooming for 20 years to get easily qualified. So I started um, a school along with quite a few of the other schools. They do what we term as the fast track now. I've seen that, yeah. So I don't teach anybody from zero. Um, I did that. I've done that. I've got the T-shirt. I've got some lovely lovely students Mm -hmm. but it's I I don't do that now I tend to support the tutors that teach those people so I get a lot of call from tutors going I've got this student that's just not retaining knowledge or she can get this bit can't get that bit how you know can you give me any pointers so I deal a lot with tutors and supporting tutors but I don't teach from zero now Um, But what we do offer is we do offer the fast track so that students or people that have been grooming a long time that that really want to get that qualification is I can support them in getting that qualification. So, um, you know, that that's what we do at the minute. And we've got um, I've got a satellite school down in Portsmouth, which is fabulous. They're absolutely brilliant down there. Um, And we've got another one coming on board in Scotland that will be teaching from zero. Um, so there will be the facility too, but it won't. It won't be me. It won't be me. So how does um, how does an experienced groomer who possibly doesn't have their level three or their qualification behind them? How do they go about doing the the fast? Track? I actually saw one of the questions. I can't think who it was for from. Who was it from? I think it might have been um, Tony or Anthony Parker. It was a guy, wasn't it? Yeah. So he was asking about the difference in all the qualifications, wasn't he? Yeah, the, he wanted to uh, understand the difference between um, OCN and um, City and Guilds. Um, I'm just trying to find the, the ICMG as well, wasn't it? Yes, that's right. Okay, okay. So the um, what you need um, is you need an off-qual regulated qualification. Yeah. So like me, I started out not doing heads, but I still left that training center with a certificate yeah so which actually said diploma on it you know dog grooming diploma and I had that and I thought I was qualified um clearly I wasn't and unfortunately there's an awful lot of places that that do that type of qualification they do a um an in-house certificate 
which I don't I don't want to say it's not worth the paper it's printed on but what it's not had is it's not had the robust way of assessing it which means that the governments the education departments um, approve of that they know is the correct way to, to deliver and to assess a qualification. So we've got very few. We've got the um, the ICMG, which is an American qualification. Uh, we've got the City and Guilds, we've got the OCN, and we've now also got the IPET qualification. Yeah. So IPET, OCN, and City and Guilds. So I've looked at all of those syllabuses and I've pulled them apart and I've cross-referenced them and everything. And in all fairness, they're pretty much the same. I see. If you picked up any of those syllabuses, you would you would find it hard to know which one you were looking at because they're all very much the same. Mm. So the assessment process of them is very different. So City and Guilds, you have to do, um, I think it's like about five tasks, and then you do an exam, a written exam, which is sat twice a year. So it's quite formal qualification. Um, mm-hmm. It's probably our leading qualification. Sitting Guilds has been around for years. And, you know, you could go to Italy and they would know Sitting Guilds. You could go to the States, they would accept Sitting Guilds. So it's accepted worldwide. The OCN is assessed differently in the fact that it's all assessed in-house. So yeah. your tutor assesses you. They verbally ask you questions throughout your course to assess your underpinning knowledge. And that's the way they kind of do the the test paper. So it's a lot more informal. And a lot of people like that because they freak out at exams. And I, you know, I get that. I do get that. But I think what what people need to understand is that nobody loves exams. <laughs> you're not, you're not, you're not alone. I, I can't do exams. It's everybody else out there can, but I can't. I literally threw up to every single exam I ever went to. Doing all my higher diploma, doing all my sitting guilds. I used to pull over into a lay-by, open the car door, puke in the gutter, close the car door and carry on driving. You know, literally, um, I used to do that for competitions as well. So, Nobody enjoys doing exams. So, you know, you, you do have to push yourself. And when you push yourself and you achieve, that is the biggest boost ever. Yeah. So don't, you know, don't think that, that you know, any, path, any pathway is easy. So the IPET is pretty much the same as the OCN, assessed in the same way. So those three qualifications are pretty much the same um, knowledge, and, you know, the assessment processes are just one's more formal than the other. Yeah. One's called what they term as cyanoptic, which means it's all assessed at the end. So the, the um, IPET and the OCN is assessed throughout your course. So as you do a good bit, they go, oh, that's all right, I'll tick that bit off. Oh, you've done a lovely so-and-so, let's tick that bit off. With the city and guilds, they do all your teaching and then they do all your assessments at the end. Right. So that's the way we do it. The ICMG is very different and it's got totally different knowledge. Totally different knowledge. It's all very, very breed based. Mm-hmm. It's um, really interesting, um, but it is very, very different knowledge. And it's assessed um, by uh, the ICMG team. And what's good about that is that every single thing that they assess is quality checked. Right. 
So a lot of the quality checking in the sitting gills and the IPET and the OCN is what they term as um, sort of like selected. They take bits of it. So they take one, one unit here, one unit there, one unit somewhere else. It's called sampling. So it's dip, it's dip tested, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But with the ICMG, everything, 100%. So with ICMG, would you say that was more for someone that was going into like a niche, like if they're going to niche into poodles, because you said it's more breed specific? Not really, because I think to get the whole masters, you've got to do the toy group, the terrier group, the gun dog group, you've got to do all your groups. So I think it's a, um, I think it's a great qualification when you've got the others. Yeah. Get your others and then go, oh, what can I do now? Oh, I think I'll do the ICMG. But it is a standalone qualification, so you can just go straight to the ICMG. But it's good knowledge. It's good knowledge. Sorry? Zero to hero. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, they're all very good. They are all good. So, I mean, it's just – and the other three can be fast-tracked. So what you do with the fast-track is you you have a criteria of 15 dogs, um, about 32 different criteria, so things like – Eyebrows, clean face, um, spaniel ear, furnishings on ledge, clean ledge, cat foot, dog foot, um, skirts, um, a spaniel skirt, an underline. You have all this criteria and all you have to do is, well, not all, but it sounds uh, sounds yeah. simple, is provide the evidence that says I can do that. So you and build the um, magazine portfolio. Yeah, it's just like, like a portfolio, isn't it? And photographs and then submit your portfolio and then you get assessed as well on a couple of yeah. dogs. You get assessed on a couple of dogs and you do a first aid course. Yeah. So the way that we do it is we have the students build a portfolio and then I've written workbooks for the underpinning knowledge. So they take their workbook, they read their workbook, they answer the questions, which cross-references to the syllabus and then that's all done. But you can go and... <laughs> as quickly or as slowly as you like yeah so someone like tracy a a message from tracy here saying i did my level three city and guilds written but didn't actually get to do the practical as the assessor cancelled the day before and then she left the company now this was a few years ago so she would have done her um, written stuff but not her practicals she's now been grooming for a total of 10 years um would she need to do the whole thing again um or what's the path to go what's the best path to go down for the level three i would have sort sort of said the okay i would i would stick with what you are what you're on i wouldn't if you've already done a theory paper on words, um, but that was yeah, sort of Gilles, yeah if you've already done your theory paper you've kind of got your knowledge big tick in a box so all you've got to do is your assessments it's it's a little bit tricky and it's a little bit complicated in the sense that a couple of years ago, the qualification changed. Mm. So it used to be the 7763, and now it's the 7863. All right. So the 7763 no longer exists, right? But right. because of COVID, what they've gone and done is they've gone, we're going to extend it. So we've got two qualifications running parallel with each other. So now is a good time to go back and say, look, I'm halfway through. They've extended everything and just get your head down and get it finished. You can probably go if you've just got, um, I've been booked to do a couple of exams for sitting guilds to, to, um, to do a mop-up session. Mm. So we should have stopped examining back last August. They extended it till December with the first lockdown and now they've extended it further to July. 
So if Tracy um, did her written assessment a few years ago, say, would that still be valid or would she? Yeah. Have to, yeah. Could she just go back to City and Guilds, like the awarding body, and go and find her course? Yeah. And do the assessment. The all the city, all the City and Guilds need is your name and your date of birth. Ideally, if you've got your registration number, which is on a certificate somewhere, that's great. Everything is in what they term as the walled garden. So whenever you have a result, it all gets put on there. So City and Guilds know exactly where you are, how much you've still got to compete. You will have to um, go to a centre to do the assessments. Yeah. But you can just, you know, I mean, give it to message me and I can tell you where the assessments are. Um, yeah. But when you register for City and Guilds or the IPET or the OCN, you get a three-year window. Right. So you have three years to complete the qualification. If this young lady is beyond the three years, what City and Guilds have started to do now because um, of COVID is extend. So she might just have to pay a small fee. I think it's around about 50 quid to extend. Um, it, do, it does all depend on how much she's done. But I think, you know, if you've gone through the hassle of sitting a theory paper and you've got it, I would, I would just do your, do your, and if you've been, how long has she been growing? 10 years. Yeah. Oh, the, the, the assessments, honestly, it will be a piece of piss. <laughs> It'd be a doddle. <laughs> it will be. You know, she just got to literally groom a dog um, in an hour. Yeah. So hopefully she'll either um, be able to rekindle her City and Guilds qualification or she yeah. can get in touch with yourself for a bit more. Yeah, uh, we can find out, we can find out, um, where she is and what she's what she's already submitted. So, I'm just, I'm just uh, making sure we're answering all of um, Tony's questions that he submitted earlier. And um, he was said, um, surely, I suppose, that really, you know, you decide what qualification you want to do, whether it's IPET, OCN, City and Guilds, and then I suppose you can just go and speak to the different schools and make sure you're a good fit with them and make sure that you sort of gel with the with the instructor because you're going to spend a bit of time with the with the teacher aren't you that's that's it i mean on the spotlight we've got um a training page so all of our members that run schools are on the training page and the good thing about that is that you can then look up the trainer's profile as well so most trainers um, have got an expertise. You only have to look at Georgia Ashton Fuller. She's big mm -hmm. on the Asian. Um, Amy Mansers obviously very big on the on the on the American cocks and gun dogs. You know they've all kind of got their speciality. Um, you know, so go onto the page, pop in your postcode, find out which one's near you. Go and look at the tutor's profile, and always, always do a taste today. Yeah, hundred percent do a taste today. If a school doesn't require you to do a taste today, there's something wrong with them. Because trust me, as much as you need to gel with the tutor, they need, <laughs> yeah. they need to gel with you. <laughs> because, you know, it's it's tough. It's not easy. No, teaching is very difficult, isn't it? And they the, the schools must see all sorts of people, all walks of life coming through their doors and they, they have to sort of make sure they're it, it is bizarre because I, I did training in London in Chelsea and you know I I did it at a time when there was a hell of a lot of cabin crew that were out of uh, out of work so right. nearly every other student was cabin crew which is great but honestly guys they used to turn up 
immaculate. <laughs> all, all the makeup. Absolutely done up. I used to have one student, bless her, that for all of her photographs, this is this is honestly hand on heart, for her photographs of her before and afters, she used to go downstairs and she used to change her wig. <laughs> she changed her wig and she would come up with this beautiful wig on and have her pictures taken with her dogs. And then she used to change to the short wig to groom them all. Wow. I mean, how, how is that even? Why would you even do it? I mean, as soon as they arrive with a bit of mascara on, I'm going, well, you won't be wearing that tomorrow. No, that's it. And they yeah, that won't, you won't be able, that won't be. And then also what we had also was quite a lot of ambulance crew. So yeah. I think that's quite a tough life. Um, yeah. You know, I but I've, I mean, I've taught a judge, I've taught bankers, I've taught people from all walks of life. I really have. I think we're going to start finding a lot of um, public sector workers coming through into the industry. I know certainly I've seen a lot of comments on the group from um, teachers. Uh, who I think obviously these are very stressful jobs, and they've they've sought sort of uh, they've sought alternative careers, and dog grooming has kind of given them that opportunity so well we've definitely seen an awful lot of uh, a big influx to the spotlight um mm. you know we've had um i think one advert um had 66 hits in three weeks wow yeah which is that 66 people in that area looking at that school because you know they're they're looking to change careers yeah. the trouble is is a lot of these people have probably um, you know, had redundancy or something like that. So they've got the money to plow into it and they've got the money to make these beautiful looking salons. So we, we've got to get them qualified. They must be qualified. Um, you know, it's all, you know, you can have all the bells and whistles in the land and make your salon look fabulous. But if you can't groom a dog, yeah, you know, and it's yeah. not all about the groom. You know, I stress that a lot is, you know, if you're newly qualified, you're not the best groomer in the world. But what your qualifications done is that it's made you safe. You know how to groom a dog safely. And that's that's got to be that's the most important thing with pet owners. We did a huge survey um, before we started the spotlight and it was 97 percent of pet owners said they would only ever go to a qualified groomer. And then the same question, how many of you know that your groom is qualified? The same amount assumed, just assumed that their grooms were qualified. They had no idea that we could work without any qualification at all. No, I didn't realise that it was an unlicensed industry. No. So um, a shameless, shameless plug for me there as well, because obviously they go out and they get they get uh, qualified and they set up their nice businesses, but then maybe they don't understand the running of a business as well and that's where hopefully my group and my services come in 100 <laughs> percent. because also the trouble is is we have such a diverse industry i mean what other industry can you think of that you can work in a garden center in your back garden in your conservatory in your house in a salon in a van go to somebody's home yeah. i mean it's literally such a diverse you know you can work it around your kids you can you know um you can basically do it however you like yeah. so yeah and and unfortunately the syllabus that we've got with the ocm the ipad and the um teaching gills doesn't prepare you for running your own business 
which in all fairness, a level three qualification should, because level three means that um, you can work unsupervised. So level two qualification means that you must always be supervised. Mm -hmm. So in any other industry, whether you be an electrician, a plumber, any other um, industry that's um, got um, legislation linked to it, you cannot have a level two qualification and be unsupervised. And yet we've got level two students that are, I, I get they're competent, mm -hmm. um, but unfortunately, you know, they're, they're out there and they're, you know, they, we need to literally push them to get their level three because level three means that you can, um, you can work unsupervised and you can teach somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. And that's across the board. That's in floristry, anything. It's not, it's not just, you know, I'm not making it up. It's yeah. whatever qualification you do in whatever industry. Uh, Jacqueline just said I still work in the ambulance service and that gave me an idea an ambulance might make for a good um, dog grooming van yeah <laughs> wouldn't it? Bad, it it's got electric and it's got you know you could make a quite good dog groomers out on that there's some um, in America there's some um, I've got a friend that's um, got, a, got a dog grooming van in Saudi he's in uh, in Saudi Arabia and he does really well um, uh, but I've got other friends in America and I mean they make an absolute killing you know mobile if you're if you're a good mobile groomer and you and you look at your clientele what what they um what he he does is he has a membership mm -hmm. so you can't you can't be a client of his unless you become a member of his salon so people pay a yearly fee of i think it's 150 dollars just to be on his just book. be on his books Wow. And I've discussed this with American groomers. We've got some American groomers in my group and I've discussed this with them and like um, how their industry is sort of seen within their society. And they said that it's very much part of the household bills, like, yeah. you know, mortgage, electric, dog groomer, pet food, you know, it's all part of um, everyday living and you're kind of up there. Whereas maybe in this country, we're not seen as in such a high sort of high up on the list sometimes um, I, I don't know I think I think we're getting there because I think dog ownership has changed years ago when I was a kid um, we had a dog and my parents used to work full-time and they used to go out to work and we used to leave the dog for 10 hours a day and nobody said anything mm. it just what, what you did yeah. And then we kind of had this revolution of, of you know, dog can't be left, that, you know, you, the training school started to come up and dog ownership changed. And in all honesty, a lot of dog ownership, it dipped because people that would previously have owned a dog didn't own a dog because they went out to work all day. Yeah. Then we see, you know, in the last sort of 15 years, this amazing industry that's come up with, with dog walkers and dog boarding, you know, day boarding. So we've, we've created a whole you know, infrastructure so that people can own dogs. And also, you know, nowadays people pay somebody to wash their car. They pay somebody to even pick their shopping for them. They pay somebody to oh, do their ironing. They pay somebody to come in and do their cleaning. It's so I always say whenever I give any talks or anything, you know, I'm the person that grooms their dog. So I never moan about an owner. I had an owner in today that's got a powder puff and she comes in every eight weeks and he comes, he came in knotty again today. And I said to her, I said, this isn't working for him, 
for me, for you. I said, so eight weeks is too long. I said, so what we're going to do is we're going to have in four weeks, you're going to come in for just a bath and a groom through, and then four weeks you'll have a trim. And she said, oh, can I do that? And I went, absolutely you can. Told her what the price was. And she said, oh, great, she's amazing. I said, and if you do that, you haven't even got to worry about brushing him. That's my job. I'll, I'll groom him. I'm your groomer. Let me groom your dog. But what you've got to do is bring him in regular enough. So we have an awful lot of dogs that come in really regularly because we're the dog groomer. And we yeah, groom and their uh, dog. I don't expect them to groom their dog. If they're going to come in regularly, that's my job. And you've, you've just highlighted again that conversation that you have to have with the owners and explaining and educating them. So we've uh, we've introduced like a direct debit system because I kind of think you, you pay for your household insurance and direct debit. You pay for all your important services to do with your house by direct debit. So why not pay for your dog grooming on direct debit? Yeah. And then it brings it up that list, doesn't it, of important things. Yeah. And, you know, the dog comes in, we have a really nice conversation about the dog and do the dog. And there's no money conversation needed because it's being paid for every month. Yeah. So it's really I mean, you're always going to get your clientele that, you know, the week before Christmas phone up and want their yeah. German Shepherd de-shedded that's not been done for a year. That's fine. I have um, what I term as my happy price. So I have, um, I don't ever want to look in my diary and sink, have my heart sink and go, oh, God, I don't want to see that dog. And there are a few that we do. Um and, and it's funny, we do, um, I've got a really um, funny story about Stuart. We do a, um, a Russian terrier, black Russian terrier called Bess. She's absolutely lovely, but she's a real nightmare. She's always been sedated. We don't bath her. The owner's bath her. We just shave her off with a 7F. But she's really, she's wicked. And um, she literally throws the clippers out your hands and, you know, it, it, your palpitations, you know, you take your life in your hands when you do her. And Stuart Diller, the time before last, and he's clipping her off and he's going, it's ridiculous. How much do we charge for this? This is ridiculous. I, I'm not doing this. And <laughs> We're not doing this dog again. We're not doing this dog again. Then the owner comes back and Stuart goes, hi, yeah. He's like, how much do we charge for this dog? I said, well, it takes us about 45 minutes. I said, and we charge 75 pounds. And he's going, that's ridiculous. No, it needs to be double that at least, double that at least. And then he comes and he goes, hiya. How much is it? Oh, it's 75 pounds. He lost his bottle. <laughs> it's not so much that. It's like you, as a groomer, you need that vent, don't you? I mean, you know, the, the times when I'm doing a dog and I, I, you know, in my head, I've planted a pair of scissors in the middle of its forehead. You know what I mean? And you you need that. You need to, you know, you need to have that little bit of release to kind of go and breathe. Right. OK, that's fine. You know, anybody that says that, you know, they, you know, they don't want to sort of, you know, I don't know. It's choke hold it until it passes out quickly trim it and then bring it back to life again is, is lying do you know what I mean like blow it back up again that's fine you know it's like but, any uh, job there are a few you're going to get stressed it's like any job and you're going to have to have put in place things to deal with stress mm. and like um, getting frustrated and maybe that's where you take the dog and put it back in its bed for a bit and, and, that's, and that's time out we, we do time yeah. out all the time all the time and I, I have no problem with saying to Nona look I'm giving him a break I'm giving me a break he's going to be you know an extra half an hour or something or I'm going to finish him when I've done this other dog because when you've got backing up as well that causes you stress because you're like now I've got to rush that one because 
I can't I can't get this one done. And sometimes it's it's silly things like you realize that you've been trying to um, do the dog facing it the wrong way. So this poor dog is constantly trying to look where its owner's been. And you're like, no, I want you to look at me. And then you realize, actually, if I just turned it around and let it. Yeah. Yeah. Or laid it down for its nails or something. Yeah. Just, you know, I mean, we, as I say, we wrap in towels. I mean, I've been known to put a towel in the tumble dryer, get it warm, wrap the dog up, you know, when they're little frail, little old ones. You know what I mean? They, they just need that extra bit, you know, and, and cuddle, a cuddle goes a long way. Yeah. You literally cuddle them, and we've all done this. You just cuddle them until you feel them do that big sigh. Have you ever done that? And they go, <sighs> and you go right now. Okay, so now you're 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 in your happy place now. So it's fine. We can continue. But and all the time they're tense. You can't bless them. And it relieves a bit of stress for you as well, doesn't it? Mm. I like the calming sprays as well. Yeah. Oh, that's what well, we, oh, we walk around going, I love my job, I love my job. And the dog's pooed on the floor for about the 15th time. You're like, I love my job, I love my job. <laughs> so we've mentioned it quite a lot, the, the, the spotlight, as you mm-hmm. call it. But maybe I've got people in the group that are new to grooming or they're in training or maybe there's people on there that in the group that never heard of the groomer's spotlight. Maybe you can explain to us what it is and the, if you've got time, the reasons why you set it up and what's behind okay, it. Okay, so I'll, I'll, I'll do a potted a potted version. Right, so I'm, I'm very much into education and I've worked with City and Guilds and I've worked for City and Guilds for quite a few years. And what happens with a qualification is if you don't have the numbers, so if people don't take the qualification, um, a qualification provider goes, not much point having this, we'll get rid of it. So it's an awful lot of admin and that sort of thing. And with dog grooming, we were in a position where people weren't taking the qualification. Now, prior to my generation, there's a lovely generation of groomers, the Diana Norse, um, you know, the Peter Youngs, the Anita Backs, that fought incredibly hard to get us a qualification. Mm. And having a qualification for an industry makes it professional. I don't, I don't get how you can call yourself a professional person unless you are qualified in that industry, in that, you know, that job that you do. So the thought of losing it was just unthinkable. We can't lose the qualification. We can't. There's been reviews on it, have there? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We were getting close to the fact that. And then you would read on Facebook, people have been going, what's the point? It's only a bit of paper. Mm. Um, you know, there's no point getting qualified. It doesn't mean anything. Customers never ask me. All absolutely valid points. So Stuart and I sat down one day and went, you know, I was like, we can't lose qualification. We need to make qualifications valuable. We can't, you know, we can't legalise the industry. We can't, you know, we can't make legislation. But what we can do is make the qualification have value to people. So the spotlight was, was born. So the spotlight is a website where you find a qualified groomer. And we spend, the, each individual groomer has a lovely profile where they show off their grooming, they show off their achievements, and we literally champion qualified groomers. So we either champion the ones that are qualified or we do an awful lot of work towards getting those that want to be qualified, qualified. It's not a bash against unqualified groomers. 
I groomed unqualified, as I said. It's about encouraging people to become qualified, to see the value of a qualification. And a million percent, they absolutely protect you. It's not just a piece of paper. Um, A good few years ago, I was um, sued. And the the guy came in um, and he was looking at all my all my certificates up on the wall and I was trying to tell him what was going on and he was like, well, you've got that, have you? And you've got this. And I was going, yeah, yeah, I've got all that. Great, great. And he was writing it all down. And go, oh, this is great. In fact, you're qualified. And I was like, but <laughs> what what's what's you know why are you saying this? And he said that a qualification shows that you know what you're doing. So they cannot argue. Mm. They can't argue. It's proof that you know what you're doing. So if you think about it, if you cut a dog or heaven forbid something worse even happened and you went to a sister and you went, I'm an unqualified groomer, um, I've got this case against me, will you, will you support me? Or I'm a qualified groomer, will you support me? An unqualified groomer hasn't really got a leg to stand on. Mm. You know, the qualifications add huge value to that person and, and to the industry as a whole. You know, so that's exactly what we do. We're we're trying to promote professionalism. We're trying to show the value of of qualifications because they are incredibly valuable. You know, if you if you had two dentists and you went, oh, you know, this this one's not qualified, but this one is. Which one do you want to go to? I mean, I know which one I'd go to. And I think even if they said that one's not qualified, but he's been doing dentistry for 10 years, this one's only been doing dentistry for two years he's qualified i would still go qualified because i would think they're bang up to date they know what they're thinking of and i'd be like well why hasn't he got himself a qualification is he not good enough to be qualified so i think i think it's it's so important you know i'll I'll never stop championing qualifications never and what do you think um we'll get to the point where the industry is going to be licensed how how does that get driven forward is it does it come to insurance companies that say we'll only give you insurance if you're qualified? We've tried that. We've tried it. Yeah. We've tried it. The insurance companies won't play ball at all because then they're not going to turn away custom. No. No, sure? they won't. They then it's we've tried. No. Yeah. No. They they won't even give preferential rates to a qualified groomer. They won't even give different cover to a qualified groomer because we're an unregulated industry. They will follow whatever is the regulation. Personally, what we've got to do first is we've got to um, regulate the training schools because there are training schools out there that um, are not doing their jobs properly. Um, And it's not the groomer's fault. A groomer pays their money. They sign up for their course um, in all good faith because they think what they're getting is good training and they're not getting good training. Um, it's not across the board, but there are schools out there that could be a lot better than they were. So I think we need to, if we get those regulated and the standard of training brought up, then the people that, that are going out there um, are just going to be um, just so much more capable. I, I get so many messages from groomers going, I've done a 35 day course and I'm not confident. Yeah. That's and that's so sad. That shouldn't be the case. 
that shouldn't be the case you should you should leave your you should you know leave your training school with then with with a you know pair of scissors in your hand knowing what you're doing and 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 knowing that your your tutor has has you know supported you to be the best that you can be you know we're all going to be at different levels you know that's you know and customers are going to want different levels of grooming you know i mean i i couldn't turn out a continental poodle i wouldn't have a clue and i mean there's no point me going on a course to be able to do a continental poodle because i'm never going to get a customer that's going to want one so there's no, no point no, i mean it's, it's just you know and people say all i do is shave off then be bloody good at shave offs because trust me they're quite hard as well getting them neat and tidy yeah. Nothing wrong with being just a shave-off person, but you Sorry, can still be qualified. Yeah. So do you think regulation will come, or is it a long, long I'd like to think that we can get the, the, the schools regulated, um, and then, you know, let's let's just take it in small steps. Yeah. I mean, there's always whispers. There's always whispers. They've just done a lot of work with the home boarding. Um, I have no idea why home boarding got done before grooming. No. no idea at all. Perhaps it's just easier. Don't know. Um, we've had several goes at quality control of um, star ratings. There's been a few things that have fallen by the wayside um, mm. because because it's not, um, you know, enforced by anybody. Again, you know, why would you pay £500 to get a four-star rating if it doesn't stand for anything? No, that's it. And then... I- and I'm, I'm worried that if it does go down the regulated route, they're just going to give it to the councils to enforce. And the councils don't have... And they haven't got enough resources. They, no. they haven't got enough time to do it. No, that's it. So, again, yeah. it becomes a toothless tiger, doesn't it? And um, you know, I think there's a lot of things out there. I remember years ago when I was doing my teaching, um, they sent um, uh, EQA, so an external quality assurer, to... Um, to see my work, to see how I was teaching. And I can remember, you know, planning my lesson, getting it all ready, being really excited as to who this EQA was going to be, thinking, oh, my God, who are they going to send? You know, this is going to be so exciting. I can get such feedback from them. And this person came, and I thought, I don't recognise, I don't know who this is. Went through all the EQA process, got my feedback at the end, and he was a nice chap and everything. And I said, well, you know, what you, where, you know, what, where's your salon? And he was like, salon? He was like, so I've got a salon. I was like, oh, okay. And he was a piano tuner. <laughs> no sort of credibility. No. But he knew that I had to, he knew the structure of a lesson. He yeah. knew how I should work through all my students. Did I teach each student individually did i you know give them work to do did i challenge some students did i do this so he knew all about the teaching process yeah but actually nothing at all about dog grooming no which is just as important isn't it oh well i i think so i think i think for you know a bit of inspiration i mean piano tuner for god's sake most probably the same person that gave me i had to i had to teach a blind student as well once what dog grooming Mm. Interesting. College. The college were like, oh, it's diversity. I look, but they're blind. <laughs> How did it turn out? It was it was fun. She, it was level two. Thank God, no clippers yeah. and scissors. Um, but yeah, the, the funny thing was she was a lovely girl, but she used to be um hosing a dog and the water used to be shooting out and hitting another student. She was be nowhere near the dog. How strange. But no, though so, crazy. Um, 
Emma's, Emma, my wife, Emma asked a couple of questions about this, the groomer spotlight. If you've got, are you okay for time? Mm-hmm. I'll do some questions and we'll, we'll be done. I know you've had a busy day. No, no, it's fine. It's fine. So, uh, what what value um, does joining the groomer spotlight do to a member? What what does uh, what does the groomer spotlight offer to the to the member, and what kind of value does it add to your business by by joining? So it adds great value to your business, the fact that you're on the spotlight. If you're qualified and you're on the spotlight, then that's that's kind of a gold seal as it is, because we have to verify all your certificates. So we don't just allow um, anybody on as such. You know, we, we do make sure that the qualification you've got is valid and that, you know, you're you are current and up to date with everything. So that's it's almost like a gold standard anyway. We do work closely with a lot of companies to sell them the, the the virtues of qualifications and groomers so the fact that you know they they get to a qualified groomer they've got somebody that knows what they're doing and we've got great member offers so we we do strive um so groomers give us wholesale prices um i mean the you it's 90 pounds a year for membership and you know i mean i i did a groomers order the other week and i saved I think 116 pounds so i've already got my spotlight membership back in one order yeah so yeah. It, it's it's you know if you're qualified it's kind of like why wouldn't you be a member hmm. you know it saves you an awful lot of money we've got lots and lots of offers i'm um, ad fab do offers wild wash do offers little canis do offers um i'm trying to think of them all we've got them all on the website so yeah they're all there so huge member benefits and also people have used the website for um lots of things um nearly um all of the all bar one of the pooch perfect contestants were members Mm -hmm. so it's used for head hunting a lot um it's literally you know it's somewhere where you can shout about your qualifications and and all our members are really proud to be on it. You get a window sticker. Um, we spend a, an awful lot of time, effort, dare I say, and money on um, SEO. Yeah. So that when people put in dog grooming near me, you know, we want them to be qualified. We work closely with vets because vets generally don't like to um, recommend a groomer because they don't know what they're like. And yeah. the fact that they can you know, clearly hand on heart say that these people are qualified, then they're happy to sort of send people to the spotlight. So if you're if you're a member, you you work hard to push that groomer spotlight out to potential mm. customers so they can find you as well. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's um it's just and it's a really good community to be part of. You know, a lot of the, the spotlight members, you know, work with each other, know each other, help each other, you know, and we've got a really good Facebook group where people can put questions and not be kind of like, you know, it's a lovely. I've never I've never seen a crossword on the Facebook group. Everybody's kind of really pro each other. And if we do get um I mean, in the initial year of starting the spotlight, Stuart and myself had um you know, we had some quite quite nasty messages and things because yeah. people didn't get it. They thought we were we were against unqualified groomers, and that's not the case at all. Not at all. Mm. We just want to make sure that there's an industry there in 20 years for the rest of you. Yeah, I mean, I didn't realise that um, places like City and Guild look at their uptake of their qualifications, and if they're not being taken up, 
then they just look at sort of putting them in, putting them away in the filing cabinet sort of yeah. thing. I didn't realise that. So that's how important Because it it's all to do with um, what happens. It's quite a complicated process, but, but if a... Um, Colleges will take on a qualification like OCN, IPET and City and Guilds, um, providing that they can get funding for it. So it's always funded by the government. The private training schools, it's not a problem because people pay their £6,000. But for a a, um, college to to take on a qualification, it has to be one that acquires funding. Otherwise, they, they won't do it. It's not worth it. So what happens is qualifications um, with certain amount of hours connected to them um, acquire funding. So years ago, we had one. We had the one diploma, which was 340 hours. And the government were like, oh, 340 hours. That's a professional qualification. We'll give you the money for that. Mm-hmm. Right. Then what was happening is the jump from level two to level three was so vast that people were doing their level two and they weren't going on to their level three. They were going out. They were going, oh, God, I'll never get to that. I'll never get to it. And that's when the numbers started to drop. Right, I see. Because people were doing their level two. They weren't bothering to do a level three. So City yeah. and Gills looked at it and went, there's no point in having it because nobody's taking it. So then what happened was the industry reacted and we split the qualification. So it went to some people have just got the introductory. Yeah. So there's the introductory and the diploma, which is the same qualification but split in two. So they then did the introductory, but they still didn't go on to finish off the diploma. So we've got thousands of groomers out there with half a qualification. And because they split it, each each qualification was then reduced in hours. So rather than being 340 for the whole thing, it was 160. And the government went, we're not giving you funding for that. Yeah. But then we had to change it again and put the whole thing back together again. It's just been a nightmare just trying to keep it. It really has. It drives you mad when you're having to come up up against the government. (laughs) Well, you're reinventing the wheel. I mean, at the end of the day, what do we want to do? We want to actually learn how to groom a dog. That's what we want to do. And we (laughs) want to get a bit of paper that says you can do it. Yeah. You know, that's what you want. You want a piece of paper, you know, a qualification that says you are competent to do this job. And it sounds so simple, but when you're up against governments and, and you know, they're looking for loopholes in not giving people money and saving money, and you've got dog groomers. But in the year that we, we came back together, the qualification came back together, numbers went from 60 um, the paper that we'd marked previously, there was only 60 people sat at it. The yeah. sitting gills were like, no point. And then the following, when they when we reviewed it and we gave the new qualification, uh, we went up to over 400. Wow. It shows bad. it worked. Yeah. And I think now the, the, the message is starting to go through. I, I There's a lot of grooming schools out there that are offering the more, the OCN and the IPET and the City and Guild. So. And they're good qualifications. There's nothing wrong. People kind of like, oh, they're rubbish. They're, they're not rubbish. You know, they might be rubbish if it's been taught by a rubbish tutor. So that that's what we need to sort out. But yeah. the qualifications themselves, if you look at the qualification handbooks, which anybody can look at, um, yeah. you know, the syllabus is bloody good. Yeah, they're all online, aren't they? So you yeah. can go- and you read through it and you go, oh, my God, I'm going to learn that and I'm going to learn that and I'm going to learn that. 
oh god i don't even know what that is and i'm gonna learn it <laughs> you know and then you're like you're like this is amazing yeah. you know and then perhaps you get to uh and the, and the trouble with colleges is is they they pick tutors that that it's not the tutor's fault. You know, they, they pick a tutor and go, oh, you can go and teach dog grooming. And the tutors are not, you know, they're not robust enough. They're not they're not good enough to sort of teach it. And generally, you probably have to deal with larger classes as well because, again, to make it viable for the colleges, they need to get larger. When I was, when I was teaching in college, which I loved, I taught at Hadlow. Um, I taught one to ten. I had ten students. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was – I had a help. I had a um, – um, a technical instructor so they would oversee technical bits but yeah i had um 10 10 students which is in some ways is good because yeah. i think it it gives you um uh more independent students so you would literally i would walk work up the room stop work back down the room stop work up the room work back down the room. So I'd literally just go to every single student in turn and you'd give them a task. You'd show them a task. You'd let them get onto it. Then you'd do the same. Then you'd get back to them and you would see how they'd done and give them feedback and put them onto the next task. So, but if you've only got, say, two students or you work one-to-one -one and you've got a tutor that's there the whole time going, oh, that bit of hair there, cut that bit of hair, or, or and then this bit and that bit and this bit, or don't forget that bit and standing there watching you, that can, it doesn't make an independent student. It makes somebody going, how the hell am I going to cope without you here? Yeah. And when you're, when you're not here, I won't know which bit of hair to cut. But in actually, you know, teaching in the way that I did, you know, my students were like, oh, I've done a round foot that Julie said was really good. Is that all right if I show Claire? And I go, yeah, your round foot's lovely. Why don't you, you know, go and show Claire how to do it? And that reinforces that peer assessment. You know, yeah. so people are like, oh, my God, I can do a round foot. That's amazing. Rather than, oh, I've never done one of them before. And you're like, well, you did, did 10 last week. <laughs> but it's, you, it's tough. in contact with Hadlow and places like that? or um, Yeah, I, I do. Um, I do quite a few of the sitting girls exams at the colleges. Um, I've got um, a, a tutor group, which I've got quite a few tutors that, mm. that I, I still talk quite a lot with, um, you know, with, with ideas and, it's like really, there's certain topics that are really hard to teach. Students um, don't pick up ratios very easily, you know, right. things like that, shampoo ratios. So we, you know, I've recently just done a lesson on that just to try and help them just to, because it's, you know, you either, you've got that side of your brain working or it's the other side that just doesn't take that in. Um, yeah. So I do like working with the tutors because they want to be the best that they can be for their students. Yeah, and they're going to bring the industry up, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. That's that's where my my sort of like my concentration is now. Because mm. um, I think if I can if I can help one tutor, I'm probably helping ten students. Yeah, you understand yeah. what I mean? Yeah. It's um, whereas you know, ten individual students, I haven't got time for, but I've got time for one tutor. Yeah, and then maybe one of those students will become a tutor in years to come, and then they can help, can't they? So hundred percent. And you know, it's 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 like anything, isn't it? You're only ever as good as the person that teaches you. Yeah. You know, and yeah. and you know, we can all name that one teacher at school that inspired us, can't we? Not always, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, can. But do you know what I mean? There's always yeah. a lesson that you liked, and there was a reason you liked that lesson. I mean, yeah, groomers because. Probably we don't like people very much. Um, 
and also i mean i i suffer quite badly with 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 focus mm. so i have to i have to be really strict with myself you know especially if i'm writing and stuff like that um because i i oh my god i'm the queen of um diversion i mean i can clean the house sort the fridge out you know groom a dog sort out a drawer go for a walk all just before practical. i sit down do what i meant to do that day yeah you're just more practical minded rather than sit down and and write and and i find that, that doing working with my hands um takes away anxiety if mm. i'm sitting at my desk and I've got something, you know, I'll check 10 emails and that thing will still be sitting there that I've got to do, you know, because yeah. it's kind of, you know, all, you know. When I, when I write anything, I really want it to kind of tick all the boxes. I work really closely with Jo Hargreaves and she's like, Julie, it's great. And I'm saying, no, we're not putting it out. I'm not happy with it. And she's like. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we go through some of these quick, well, some yeah, quickly. questions? Um Again, can you do dog's heads now? Yes, I can, yes. You'll be pleased to know. How many years did you go? Was it a year or did you pick it up quite quickly? Or? I think I picked it up quite quickly. I think I started out really slowly. I was in a kennel, so, you know, you know, you do just tend to pick it up, don't you? Um, but, yeah, no. And then extra training. I mean, when I started, there was literally two competitions um, a year and there was um, designer dog road shows. So, there was just no education out there. And yeah. when you think about it, it was before, um, you know, it was before Facebook, before yeah. Google, before anything like that. I mean, you literally went to the library and got a book out. Yeah. Yeah. And all your advertising would be in newspapers and yellow pages. Leaflets, handing out leaflets. It was yeah. all very, very different. Very yeah. different. Um, how long did it take you to become qualified in teaching? Um, qualified in teaching it was um, I worked in the college for three years and the first year I was there I did my teaching qualification so it took me a year but that was um, the full qualification and I know that you can get a teaching qualification a lot quicker now oh yeah definitely that said it's horrendous it was like I would rather have my armpits infested by a thousand fleas and do that again (laughs) it was awful I hated doing it (laughs) Where had you done? Yeah, I, oh yeah. And also it, the funny thing is it's one of those qualifications that when you're doing it, you're like, what is the point of this? What mm. is the point of it? Why do I need to know the interpole connection blah, blah, of Ladlow's hierarchy of whatever? And you're like, why do I need to know that? And yet your brain set when you've got a student in front of you that's struggling, immediately goes to once she's got problems at home, does anybody know about her kids? What's this happening? What's that happening? Where where are we in her psyche? Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. how can we support that so that she can learn? And yeah. it's amazing how you kind of, you know, I mean, I've I've been with I've had a, a team of tutors that have come in and gone, um, oh, so-and-so's not on our game today. You know, and I go, Well, what are you gonna do about it? That's mm. that's your job. You're the tutor. If that person's not getting it today, that's not their fault. You've got to change that. Yeah, you you tell me how you're going to solve that. And they go, oh, oh, right. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I get it. Yeah, start looking at learning styles. And and when you're a tutor, it's a huge, massive responsibility. Massive. 
I think, um, again, Tony, a bit of reassurance for Tony was back when we were talking about, you know, being surrounded by groomers. He's like, surely um, as long as there's demand in the area and you do a good job, you'll get customers. And I think... A lot of it is customer service as well. These people are leaving their dogs with you, so they have to like you. Yeah. If they don't, if they don't like you, or um, you know, there's something you know that you're not you're not gelling with your owners, then that's that's the reason they'll go elsewhere. You know, if they like you, they'll they will pay. You know, if you, I mean, we put up all of our prices by five pounds over COVID, and nobody's. I've had one customer that's gone, you're having a laugh, aren't you? One customer. who's an old yeah. boy and, you know, he's a bit yeah. of a stickler anyway. But that's all we've had is one customer. Everybody yeah. else, totally understand, totally understand. No, you've been amazing. That's it. It's that no like and trust, isn't it? And building up that. And then I go on about having clients rather than customers and clients will stay with you and they'll champion you and want to work with you, whereas customers perhaps sometimes go elsewhere and are price-driven, so... But it is all about education. It's like building that relationship. It's like knowing what you're talking about. Like, you know, I'm trying to think of an instance where um, I had a Labrador puppy in today and they were talking about shedding and I was trying to explain to them about, you know, the clocks are changing, um, you know, so the dogs are being exposed to more daylight, which will make them shed more, you know, and they were like, oh, I didn't know that at all. And I said, well, you've got a yellow lab, unfortunately, you know, they are a black lab would have been better because the hair structure is slightly different. It's held deeper in the follicle. I said, but the yellow labs, they shed the most. There are heavier shedding breed that we've got in the UK, <laughs> apart from a pug, which are also, you know, the buff pugs shed more than the black pugs because of the color. And yeah. they were like, oh my God, this is amazing. I wish I'd have spoken to you before I bought the dog. You well, know what I mean? You didn't tell us that. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. And it's like the cockapoos. It's like, you know, a black cockapoo doesn't mat, whereas the, you know, the goldens, the hair damages more easily. There's not the structure in the hair. You know, it doesn't hold the keratin. It's, you know, there's there's so much that we we know and we want to know, you know. So, and that immediately hooks your owner into going, well, she's the one for me. Yeah, you know, you, you just, you know, being a bit of a leader and educating them and showing that you know what you're doing and what you're talking about. And, you know, like you said, it hooks them in and then they, they become clients and your biggest fans and they'll yeah. tell, tell them. We had, we had a Bouvier, it was in the diary as a Bouvier de Flanders. And I was like, we blocked out a good couple of hours for it. And this yeah. dog came in and I was like, <laughs> WTF. Yeah, what? <laughs> And I was like, it's really strange. That's not a Bouvier de Flanders. And I was like, oh, okay. And I said, and it had a little short stubby tail. And I said to her, oh, how old is it? Thinking, oh, it's got to be at least 14 if it's been docked. And she's going, oh, we don't have tails. And I was like, no. Well, you're looking at an Airedale. <laughs> well, no, what I was looking at was, uh, strangely, and it was even a surprise to me, I looked at her sheet she filled out and I went, oh, and it was a Bouvier de Ardennes. Right. It wasn't a Flanders, it was an Ardennes, and I've never met a breed. I've never met them before. Sim pictures, but yeah. I've never met them. And I was like, that's why it doesn't look like a Bouvier de Flanders. It's because it's not one. Making and the Ardennes is a bit like um a Picardy. So or a Lacamoire, something like that. So totally different. I wasn't ex- I was like, what the hell is this? It's nothing like I was expecting. But even then I Googled it and she was pleased yeah. I Googled it and she was like Oh my gosh, you know, I saw I've never, I know of them, but I've never seen one. She said, Oh no, they're lovely. I said, I'm so sorry, because I was giving her 20 questions going, You're stupid because you don't know what dog you've got. 
But actually, she was going, you're, I'm the one that's stupid because I don't know what it is. Good job you, you met in the middle. Yeah, yeah, it was fine. Um, almost done. Jacqueline was, um, she said, how do you keep your appointments on time? And this was when we were talking about having the dog, putting the dog away for a little break and stuff like that. How do you keep your appointments on time? She's a, a lone groomer, so feels that pressure, that time pressure that someone, you know, I've got two hours or three hours to do this dog and it's not going quite right. Surely that comes down to that conversation again, isn't it? And, and linking in with your customer and saying, you know, I need a little bit more time to, to do this nicely yeah i mean in all honesty with with an individual client that should only ever happen once and then you keep good client records so that you know to put more time with that dog and charge appropriately so you know i mean we have it with our diary and i'll look over one of the girls we've put the dog on the system and she'll block out two hours and i'll look over and i say i need an hour and a half for that one and she'll go, oh, really? I said, yeah, I can get that done now and half. Or, you know, she'll look at the notes and she'll go, oh, this one's this one. And he, he, he doesn't like his head being done. I'll go, right, okay, so give me a two-hour block for that yeah. one. So, yeah. you know, you have the, the first instance where you find out about the dog and a lot of the dogs you can work with and you can reduce that time. <laughs> but also a lot of it is, is planning your time. If you're finding that you're not quick enough, is find out what's, taking you time um so I, I teach a lot about speeding up with your grooming and, and a lot of groomers go i'm not very quick and i go right okay so i give them a sheet of paper with one to 120 on it in 10 minute increments and what they have to do is they have to put on it every 10 minutes what they've done yeah and it might be that actually they've taken ages in the bath. And actually everything else is fine and if we all we need to do is reduce that bathing time so let's look at your bathing. You're worried about your trimming. Actually, I couldn't trim it any quicker than that. It's your bathing that's taking your time. So the trick always with, with um, you know, trying to speed up is to first find out what's taking you the time. So that's really, that's, that's really helpful. That's like a time and motion study, isn't it? Yeah. Like taking that dog from all the way through and finding out where you're where you're lacking or where you you can shave time off and. And we used to do that a lot of college, where a student might might struggle take all her time on tails or all her time on front legs or back legs or feet. And what I used to do um, occasionally is go right. You know, Janet's going to do all the feet today, so all your front feet, yeah. Janet's doing. So we've got ten dogs here. She's doing ten lots of front feet. Sue crap on tails she's doing all your tails and therefore you'd split the dogs up and then by the end of that day you know sue had done 10 tails oh that she's she soon better at them yeah. dogs yeah. have only got one tail so every time you groom a dog you only get to practice it once yeah. you only get one head you know so those are the things that generally you know four legs you got you get four legs to practice on every time you groom a dog but you only ever get one head yeah, you know, and one tail, and you know, you know, one, two, two ears, and that sort of thing. So those things do take more time to acquire. So yeah, find out first what's taking you time. And it might take- be, might be, you know, you might be quite surprised when you look at your sheet and go, "God Almighty, I've just taken twenty minutes on one back leg." Yeah, I'm definitely going to take that forward, and um, my wife's watching it as well. So we definitely sort of look at that um, when we do have a, a slower person in the in the shop, and you're like, "Oh, what's going on?" We can start looking at like that time emotion study, saying, "Well, where are we losing that time? Is yeah. it because they're not just 
concentrating when they're doing the drying or yeah or, or the bath's taking a bit too too long to do so and sometimes it can be down to your water whether it's hard or soft and the, and the shampoo you're using um yeah. i'm always wary when we get oh what shampoo do people use what they find good and one person say oh i think that's amazing another person say oh i think that's crap and there's nothing wrong with the product no. it's just your water you know yeah. everything's got a ph and unfortunately yeah. you add h2o to it and that goes out the window so we shouldn't really worry too much about the ph of our shampoos as long as they're in the range let's start testing our water because, you know, putting a water filter in, which is a couple of hundred pounds, could in fact save you ridiculous amounts of time and also money on shampoo because you're using half the amount of shampoo. It's rinsing out quicker. And you've literally just looked at that little bit. That's why I always think poor mobile groomers that use, I know they've got their tank on board, but some of them are using all this different water from all these different areas. But, um, you know, that, that gets tricky. Yeah, that's why, you know, we came to this house and we plumbed our dishwasher in and you have to tell the dishwasher what kind of water you have. So, I, I, again, another really top tip, I'd never really thought what's, what, you know, how well, hard... Litmus paper is great. I always carry litmus paper with me because I find it's quite engaging whenever I go to a salon. And mm. it's cheap as anything. You can get it off of eBay. I think I've got some in the drawer. And yeah. um, you can literally test your water you can test your water with a bit of shampoo in it you can test your shampoos you can even spray any product onto it to go oh my goodness i didn't realize that that was near an acid mantle or or near an alkaline mantle um and it's just interesting it, yeah. it just gives you a bit of a oh my god you know this job's hard enough that if you're not engaged with it, bloody hell, you know. But yeah, I quite often I've just developed um a new soap that's not on the market yet, but it's for for um spotting. So like when you get them horrible manky feet, um, mm. and ears and that sort of stuff. And uh, we developed it and um, you know, I literally was over the moon when I I had the final thing come and I took it upstairs and I said to my business partner Joe I'm taking the you know the litmus paper up I said and oh my god it just all the work we've put in it better be neutral it just better be neutral and it was and it was I was like oh my god I'm just so flipping thrilled with this it does what I want it to do and it's where I need it to be yeah that's good mm. brilliant my wife would probably say to me you know I know all that but I, I didn't know that myself. Yeah, the trouble is 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 you 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 do know it you know it because you've probably done it i don't know it's like you're saying like your dishwasher it's yeah. just putting it into context that's yeah it's just yeah and applying it to what you do yeah. so talking about sprays uh emma would like to know where you get your calming sprays from and what they're called and how you use them. okay so i the only calming spray i did used to use pet remedy hmm. um this, the, the reason I changed is because I know Yitka really well. And so I now use the Vita Callis range. There's nothing wrong with Pet Remedy, but I do I do use um, the Vita Callis. So she does a calm cat and she does a, a floral calming spray, which you can just use all over the place. It's really good. Use it on dogs, use it on humans. If you've got a groomer that's, you know. Kids. We, well, we kind of do it as a joke sometimes with the, with the groomers. We go, um, I remember watching, um, uh, or oh, only last summer, a program on grooming, an American program. And this groomer kept going, 
Are we going to have a magical day? Isn't it a magical day? So we we have this thing in the morning where we look at the diary and we all go, oh, magical day. And we spray a bit of this spray. And it's all, it's all just a bit of a joke. But, yeah, it creates a magical day. Positive mental attitude, I think that's Absolutely. Cool. That's exactly what it does. Uh, Georgina is looking forward to using your new products. So when's that going to oh, be? Oh, good. Well, we we just silly things like um, what I want to do is I want to have it in a tin. Mm. So because um, soap goes a bit gunky. So at the minute we're trialing the tins. So I've got three different tins in the bathing area because I don't want the tins to rust. I can't think of anything worse than buying a product and the tin rusting. So yeah, at the minute I'm just looking at, at samples and Joe's looking at different kind of paper to wrap it in i'm like for god's sake but yeah so we're we're almost there we're almost there so a couple of months i know something does eco food wraps so maybe we could uh, put you in yeah yeah it's only because i just want it wrapped in a bit of sort of i was saying to joe just have a bit of brown paper inside keep it as because what we want to do is we the soap is totally non-plastic there's no plastic at all so, you know, that's good for the environment and everything. And it'll be great to sell your owners so you can sell it onto your owners for, you know, dirty feet and dirty bums and things like that. So um, you you don't want to shampoo a whole dog in it, but it's for where you get those greasy bits, muzzles as well. So anybody that's into Asian fusion, when you have to get their muzzles, muzzles squeaky clean, this yeah. is an ideal product for that. Yeah. Uh, Georgina said B-Wax wrap as well, maybe. Something well, like I haven't thought about that. I've left that to Joe because she can do all that fiddly stuff. <laughs> I, I tend to, I just do the product development and uh, and all the testing and everything. And I, yeah. you know, we just try and we had um, a facial wash that came out, and um, we we pulled it quite quickly because from from me agreeing the formulation to them putting it into the bottle and the pump things, it changed, and I was like, it's not what I agreed to, so it's coming off. So yeah. it's, it's a long journey. It's a long process. I'll send you the details for the people. That yeah, are. please do. Yeah, yeah. It's always good to have connections. Well, we've all, we've almost. I know. Oh my god! Have we got anybody listening, or have they all gone to bed? Uh, it's telling me we've got seventeen people watching. So oh, bless them! This is this is to be. It's been brilliant, brilliant chatting to you, and I, I'm sure that people is people on here saying you know they're picking up tips like the um uh, concentrate on their bathing and try and get the bathing quicker um again uh my wife said she didn't know about the the water thing so that's that's another big win for us we can have a look at that maybe look at water filters and, and yeah. stuff like that i mean I've, I've got the julie harris education uh facebook page so do go on there and like and follow it because we're constantly doing tips and mm. we're doing all sorts of things like that just just to keep just to keep knowledge going really you know it's all you know it's all just there for people to just log into and, and have a bit of fun with yeah. and share a lot of the we do um tips um um on a, a weekly basis to share for your owners so caring for their dogs at home so it keeps your facebook pages um in the forefront of your owners as well makes them feel that you're a professional i don't mind you sharing any of my work i really don't mm. the more we can push the industry to make it more professional i don't care where it comes from Definitely, definitely. And, um, you know, this will be downloaded and go onto YouTube. So, again, you can share it with your followers. So they oh, can cool. 
Okay. And then anyone who hasn't watched this live, they can find it a lot easier as well, rather than scrolling through all the group trying to find trying to find it. So but it's been brilliant. And there's lots of um, thank yous coming in. Obviously, you're in the group, so you can have a look. Yeah, I'll have a look. So if I if I um I'll whiz through the group while I'm having a, a gin and tonic now, and uh, if there's any questions I haven't answered, I'll I'll pop in a few comments. All right. Yeah, make sure you put update your details and update uh, the websites and things like that yeah. for us. That'd be great. That'd be on. Okay. Great. Lovely to talk to you. you. And you're running a fab page. You really are. It's really great. I love it. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for that. Take care. And we'll Take care, you. everybody. Bye. Bye.